Hi, this is Brad Foreman with Peaks Podcast. This is episode 24, live from Antarctica. This is season two, Vincent. And we have some exciting news today. We woke up and heard that planes are flying after three and a half days at Union Glacier. So there's a lot of excitement. I'm I'm really revved up on this. Oh my gosh. So right now, I guess I'm going to tell you what I'm looking at. I'm looking up at Vincent, and there's two, four, five skiers skiing down Ski Hill, carving some beautiful turns in the powder. It's a nice, gentle slope. It'll be the crux of tomorrow's climb. Oh, my God, it just looks so pretty and pristine. And right behind it stands Vincent. I finally got to see it. After all the training, after all the logistics to get down here. So, it is January 12th. So, it is day 8 of my expedition. Day 8. Excuse me, I had to get a quick sip of water. We're up at 7,000 feet above sea level. And down here, it's like a dry Arctic desert on this glacier. It's unbelievable. Everywhere you look, you just see snow and mountains. We're in this basin. I'm standing right next to the runway. And there's hardly a breath of air. It is just absolutely perfect. Just loving it. Here comes skiers down. I think one of them's the pilot uh, from today. And they went way up to the top of the mountain to my right. And I can hear them. Maybe you can hear them in the background. They're just giddy, giddy with excitement. They did what looks to me like a couple thousand foot assist, descent. Well, they climbed ascent and then they descended down. And just skied a beautiful line up the steep chute off the top. And then the bottom is Ski Hill. So, that's a nice little interlude here for episode 24. If you haven't heard the earlier episodes, they might be helpful to put everything in context. Because it was some effort to get up here. So, this is the last of my five flights to get into base camp here at Vincent. Earlier episodes, I talked about leaving Dallas, Santiago, Punta, Union Glacier, and now we took the last flight. Super cool. We loaded up all our gear, right? Prepared this morning, loading up everything we have. We're not cashing anything down at Union Glacier. I even brought my passport and my wallet down here to cash up here at Union Base. So that's quite interesting. We, of course, Jacob knows the whole flight crew, 
everybody up here a base. He's like uh, uh, a living legend. It's uh, it's almost humorous. And so we get ready to board the plane. We get a photo opportunity. The pilot's really nice, uh, Darcy, and another fellow I didn't get to meet. And the plane is, we only have nine passengers with two uh, pilots. They keep the planes, we're on the third flight, the third shift, the third wave. And that, I think, was the last wave. <laughs> and we were in the back of the bus. Um, I discussed that in earlier episodes, how they determine what flight you're on. And uh, it was a fact we were on the third wave. But who really cares? Because we left at, you know, one, and they did an early lunch for us. So we kind of got to eat. I couldn't hardly eat anything because I'm so stuffed. I skipped breakfast. I'm just not used to eating this much food and exercising down there at Union Glacier isn't uh, really uh, an option. you got to stay within the confines or you'd have to have the right equipment to do. They have a 10K loop that you can jog, but I thought that would be quite ridiculous to jog and twist an ankle when uh, it's taken so much to get down here, so... I played it conservatively and laid low. So anyhow, we get in the plane and uh, our guide calls it right. He says, make sure you sit on the right-hand side of the plane and get a, you know, on the window. So our whole crew jumps on the plane first and grabs the right side. I mean, all four of us. And... Uh, we have one of the most spectacular, I mean, it was very similar, but different than flying into from Talkeetna to uh, Denali Base Camp. It was different in that the peaks that kind of rise up out of the, off the, out of the glacier, it resembles a cloud bank and mountains popping through the clouds. The glacier is just covered in silky white powder. And you couldn't distinguish it from a cloud or what it is, in fact, a snow-covered glacier. It's just beautiful. You can't hear. I mean, there's no animals down here. There's no birds unless they get blown off track in a hurricane and, you know, they die. So it's just complete peace and solitude up here. I now know why so many people are attracted to this. And I totally recommend making a trip down to Antarctica. I mean, it sounds a little wacky, crazy, but they have excursions for the non-athletic. Um, <laughs> Last night, I sat down at this table and that guy was definitely Middle Eastern and you know, he was, I asked him if we could have a seat, a big fellow, like 240. And, uh, you know, I said, hey, I'm Brad, where are you from? He goes, oh, Dubai. So I said, well, huh, you're from Dubai. Do you know uh, Salman Chaudhry? 
a buddy of mine from grad school. He goes, oh, yeah, we're good friends. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So it is quite a small world. I can't wait to get back and talk to Salman. This guy, apparently, Abraham, had been down here. This is his fourth trip with his buddies. <laughs> Four times. And I've only, I'm on my first virgin tour. But I, I, gra I really get it, how exciting <laughs> and dynamic this area is. So this flight, let's jump back onto that. We go from 2,000 to over 7,000. And the whole time he maintains an elevation of the plane at no more than 10,000 feet above sea level. So we're just cruising across. And at one point I look out my window and, I mean, it looked like our wing was scraping the side of uh, the mountain. I mean, I couldn't, I could not believe it. It was unimaginable. I mean, maybe we're as close as 100 yards. And this pilot navigated that. And then we, shortly thereafter, we came to the approach. Now, <clears throat> this runway <laughs> is an uphill slope. And uh, you just can't, I'm, uh, I'm about, I'm right next to it right now, standing here. And there's these black flags every 40 yards. <laughs> and black flags on one side and black flags on the other uh, of the landing strip. And the strip is no more than a one-lane, uh, two-lane highway. And, uh, and, and that's the target. I mean, it's simply crazy. But these guys are pros. I mean, this Otter is one neat vehicle. I mean, they're, you know, very similar to the setup in Telkitna. Um, but these guys, <laughs> they're, they're super cautious just because of the extreme latitude down here at, uh, you know, 80 plus degrees south. So they don't, they can't take any chances as we discussed in earlier episodes. So anyhow, we unload our gear. We put it in sleds, as they call it, sledges. And uh, <clears throat> we take the sleds and drag them over. There's a camp here. Uh, uh, ALE has their, you know, a base. And they have two, three different, uh, two platoons and one big tent. Uh, but nothing like Union Glacier. Then there's 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, uh, 40 expedition tents. So there's probably no one on the mountain because, or not many people on the mountain, because they had a three and a half day uh, delay for weather. So that means the mountain's probably cleaned off. Uh, and everybody flew out on our otters that came in to deliver us. So basically, we are we are the last teams to ascend. <laughs> so we get into camp, and I mean, <laughs> within ten minutes, no exaggeration. Four to six of the guides, the lead guides of the different teams, embrace Jacob, our guide, like uh, like brothers and 
from uh, you know a long while ago. They uh, they tell quick stories and you know how are the kids? Blah blah blah. It's it's really something to see. The camaraderie up here at Vincent is you know this is one of the most elite mountains because it's so uh, pricey to get to so it, it limits and all the guide companies put their most senior their top top of the cream of the crop as guides so Jacob tells us that the, a lot of these guides are the owners of the guide company they don't even entrust it with uh, uh, their senior guides and the bigger companies have a one senior guy that this is their 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 candy the little the trip that's most sought after so that's pretty cool i mean it's super cool so anyhow we identify a space within the flagged off area of course it's just like every other base camp there's flagged off areas around the perimeter um there are there's a yellow flag mark in the pee hole and then there's three different uh, uh, blinds for you to do the number two. So our camp, we're setting up to, you know, we, we identify an area. So then we sled the gear down. So Jacob, <laughs> three years ago, he hasn't been here in three years, left a cache. <laughs> and in the cache was buried by the old buddy of his, a camp manager. So I'm like thinking, God, our whole trip depends on this cash, right? There's all the fuel, the stoves, uh, and a huge uh, mountain hardware dome. I don't know if you're familiar with the dome, but holy Toledo, it's massive. And it's, so it's 18 feet diameter dome. And that's what we're going to use is our our cook tent, you know, gathering area. <clears throat> so we'll leave that up while we go to ascend. But anyhow, let's jump back to this cache because I've never seen anything like it. So you got a probe. Well, firstly, we started with a shovel. There's a couple of markers. You know, you mark it with a, a stick with a flag. And... So we dig around each of the sticks and no luck. So then Jake goes and gets a probe. A probe's like this uh, rod that you jam down into the snow and you jam down until, you know, you hit something hard, just like an avalanche rescue probe. So we go through this exercise and uh, he identifies something down a ways. And uh, so we dig. So the four of us take turns digging a hole. And we go one foot, two foot, three foot, four, five foot, six foot, eight foot more. Ten to twelve feet deep. <laughs> a hole, you know, so you got to crawl down into it, you know. And you, you got to be careful because you don't want to hurt yourself or anything like that, right? So... It's crazy. And then, you know, to shovel snow out of this hole, you know, you got to kind of throw it up. And it's it's ice. 
So what happened over three years, all these storms, like maybe it was a foot and a half, two feet deep or whatever, but all the storms in three years compacted and compacted and compacted made this baby so deep. It was absolutely crazy. But eventually, you know, I mean, we dug for maybe 45 minutes. I mean, I was getting a little tired. But anyhow, we, I mean, there was no not getting it, right? You know, you just can't say, no, well, we can't do our, our uh, expedition. We couldn't finish. So down at the bottom, then actually... I hit the, I could see a black thing in the, in the ice, and I'm like, oh my God, on my shift. So, spotted the bag, and then we proceed to dig the bags out. So, there are one, two, three duffel bags. They're not a big deal lifting those out, but there's two expedition plastic barrels. So, if you've ever seen, like, a like a like a wine barrel where they distill spirits you know those big uh, wooden casts well it's almost two well, we had two of those down at the bottom they're made of plastic they're called expedition uh, barrels and those plastic barrels are, you know can withstand three years in a glacier so I was relatively amazed, <laughs> and then Jacob muscles this thing up, and then we kind of bend over. I'm sure it's going to hurt tomorrow. You bend over and grab that barrel, and then pull it up and move it to the side so it's not to let it loose and, you know, crush the, the guy below. So we had two of these barrels, and lo and behold... Everything was safe and sound. I mean, just another day in Antarctica. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. So anyhow, we get the barrels. So Jacob has to, you know, organize the stuff. And uh, so we go and put up our, our super cool, nice tents and get those ready while he organizes the gear putting up this mountain hardware dome is really a sight to see. There might be 15 tent poles that go 25 feet and they go in all different directions. I mean, it's like a crossword puzzle for the outdoorsman. So he's got the magic formula on how they align and go. I mean, I'm sure if us three guys, Rick, Daniel, and I worked at it, it would have taken a full day. But under his instruction, we were able to erect this monster in less than probably 35 minutes. And now we have one of the nicest sites in camp. A brand new, he brought down a brand new uh, cover for the dome because the sun down here, the UV is so intense, it just totally bleached the old one. And uh, 
rendered it useless. You know, once they get bleached out, the fabric gets damaged, uh, the UV characteristics are not as strong. And so we have a brand new cover and it's, it's awesome. It works great. So now we're moving on to the uh, dinner. We'll be cooking up. I heard we're having hamburgers and french fries. This will be our first true camp meal after being spoiled rotten by the food down at uh, ALE. I, I, I just can't tell you enough about it. I mean, we'll, we'll do some more discussions. I grabbed a couple emails, and we're going to be uh, sending our podcast down to uh, their staff. And hopefully, if I come back with my Colorado climbing buddies, um, I'll see a lot of the same people. So that should be pretty cool. I'm excited about that. I'm really excited. I mean, these guys got resumes like I've never seen in any wilderness camp ever. I mean, they've been all over the place. And it shows their their hospitality, their service. Oh, I forgot to say tell you this story. <laughs> I wake up this morning. I just skipped breakfast because I was kind of getting a little, you know, uh, concerned about this whole delay of game three and a half days. So we stayed up pretty late, and I said, no, I'm just going to skip breakfast, and, you know, if we fly, we fly. And uh, so when I woke up, you know, I get my stuff on, they said, we're flying, and I'm all excited. Well, I reach in, and I'm putting on, you know, doing my routine, suntan lotion, vitamins, uh, layers, booties, or boots today, and I pull out my last thing, the, uh, sunglasses, and apparently the arm on my sunglass is broken. Now I'm like going, oh my god, my heart just starts pounding. I'm like, oh no, this is horrible. So... I'm like, I put them on with one arm. So, you know, a sunglass, when the arm broke right at the lens, right at the joint where the little screw is. So I'm like, what? This isn't so good. I mean, this, you know, your glasses are one of the most important things. Um, you know, I have goggles, but you'd be a complete Dorcasaurus wearing goggles around the, uh, you know, camp and all that. So... I do have a backup pair of glasses, but <laughs> they were uh, Smith glasses that delamoed, and they said to send them back for, a, a, and they would uh, send me off a new pair. They didn't return them in time for my trip. So I said, eh, you know, I've been wearing these glacial glasses jubies for years with no problems whatsoever i said you know this this shouldn't be a problem we can do it so wouldn't you know it <laughs> the day we're taking off on the most important one of my most important items it comes up lame and you know and you go snow blind up here i mean i have them on right now and you can wear sunglasses at midnight. You know, it's sun 24-7. So you, you need them. And you need real, like, uh, dark lenses. These are special lenses for Antarctica that uh, 
really cut the light nicely. So, anyhow, the lens arm is broken, and I'm totally concerned. So, one of my teammates suggests, well, go see if they have any super glue. And I'm like, why, you know, super glue an arm? That doesn't really seem like a real good plan. But then I thought about it and I said, well, maybe. So I ask our friend at guest service, and she goes, oh, yeah, let me let me call Jan over in uh, equipment. So this radio, her, she comes over, and she goes, oh, come with me. So we go back, and they call it the service store. Now, this isn't truly a store. This is a climber's dream. Imagine, like, a, a full-size room. 20 by 40, full of equipment. Now, I don't mean just a little equipment. I'm talking about 10 ascenders on one peg, carabiners, 10 of each type of carabiner for different uses on other pegs, coils and coils of rope, skis, boots, anything you can think of. So this girl comes in, she's just all cheerful and perky, and I'm like, you know, doggone it, this is really going to hurt me. And she goes, well, let's just take a look at it. So we get some super glue. And she carefully applies the super glue to the arm and the, you know, the uh, frame. And I'm thinking, this is just hokey. But let's give it a shot. So we do that. She holds it for about five minutes. She goes, maybe we should put a little uh, brace reinforcement. So, you know, a the tie tags that, um, uh, what are you, they're like a little plastic tie that uh, you tie things together. We clipped a little thin piece of the tip of that tie off. And um, ironically, it's the exact same color blue as my glasses. So... We adhere that over the superglued area. Let it sit. And wouldn't you know it, I'm wearing them right now, and they work perfectly. I I mean, I'm still kind of in shock, so i got to be really delicate with it. they got to make it five days. I'm going to hang them and just uh, be very, very cautious so I can get back to Punta Arenas without uh, incident. Okay, so wrapping up this podcast, the, uh, the, the pilot who just skied down off the 2,000-plus foot peak just jumped in the plane to fly back to uh, <laughs> Union Glacier. I mean, this place is just off the charts. You're going to hear this plane in the background, so... We'll keep chatting for a little bit here. I mean, this lady just, I think i think Jacob knows her and said her name is Heidi. She just rocked the side of this mountain. I mean, it's like, I'm thinking maybe it's 3,000 vertical feet. I mean, it's quite high. I mean, it's, yeah, it's got to be 3,000 vertical. I'll ask when I uh, get a chance. So anyhow... We really appreciate you listening to Peaks Podcast. You know, if you're just joining us now, catch up on the earlier episodes. It might put things in better perspective. 
we go into a lot of the training details. As I mentioned, we're really, I'm doing this whole thing just to help people understand what big mountain expeditions are all about, uh, to give them some insight and a lot of the detail that uh, you never get unless you are right out on a mountain doing this stuff. I also encourage everybody to share, comment, tell your friends, family about the podcast, send me some comments. We're going to have full photos of uh, all these camps that we hit along the way on uh, peakspodcast.rocks. That's my website, peakspodcast.rocks. And uh, there you can follow. We'll have all our Denali material and we'll have our Vincent and hopefully the uh, last two. This is number five of seven summits. And this five is a real magical one. I mean, it's like no other. I hope you can hear the plane in the background. This is the Otter revving its engine. And it should be passing by me at any moment. That's quite a good uh, backdrop. You can see she's checking the wings. The flaps, going through the the whole checklist of items that she has to do before flying. I just can't imagine ripping the slope, climbing the slope, ripping it, and then getting in a plane and flying it back. I mean, there's nothing weak about that effort. It's, it's Herculean. Okay. Powering up. Powering up. So cool. It looks like the VIPs went with her um, and did filming too. Jimmy. I don't know if I mentioned, but Jimmy, the, the Oscar winning producer, was uh, doing puzzles with us yesterday. And today, he's up skiing with his pilot and rocking it. Just hilarious. The personalities up here are just off the charts. Okay, there's ALE's plane heading down the runway, building up speed. So cool. The echo off the backside of the hill. And she's off. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us at Peaks Podcast, episode 24. Have yourself a great day.